Thank you, Marlon. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come before the gathered body of believers, brothers and sisters, all united by one baptism, one Lord and Savior of all, one hope. And Father, I am conscious that as I come and look to expound your word, I am not worthy. I bring no merit in myself. I have no credibility in my own standing. I have but one thing. I'm your child and I have your spirit. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in the words that are spoken. Be at work in the the hearts of the people in this room. I pray that they may be able to know that they are safe in you. That they have eternal life and life to its fullest. We love you, Lord God. We thank you for this time. And we pray that you would work. Amen. So today we start a new series, and it's in the book of First John. Um, you saw the sermon bumper. Uh, the title for the, the series is Up at Night. And in this series, we're looking at the sorts of questions that can tend to, to come to us, perhaps at unexpected times, and, and plague us and, and, and haunt us. Am I really loved? Am I truly forgiven? How do I know I'm saved, which is the focus of today's sermon. Uh, truth be told, though, it's not these uh, deep theological questions that are keeping me up at night uh, at the moment. It's uh, trying to entreat my toddler not to hurl her pacifier to the other side of the room for the tenth time, um, and then remonstrating with her as she flings it away and immediately proceeds to bitterly complain that she doesn't have it anymore. Um, that's the sort of thing that keeps me up at night at the moment. But if you are being kept up at night by these sorts of questions, there's really no better place for you to turn than the book of First John. And today's question, how do I, I know I'm saved? It's a question of knowledge. It's, it's a, it's a question of, of knowing the truth. And you might think that the letters of John are, are a bit of an odd place to turn to for that sort of thing. Cause I, I think, I think there's a perception that, that John is, is more focused on, on love and on obedience and, and less focused on, on knowledge and, and theology. And it is true that John's approach to truth is, is very different, uh, from someone, say, like the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul approaches his work like a, like an engineer. He, he, he lays a foundation and he argues logically from premise to conclusion to the next conclusion. Whereas John approaches his work more like an artist, like a, like a painter. And he presents a, a vision of something for us to see. 
and then he prevents a, 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 a vision of something else. And then he comes back to this thing, but he looks at it with a slightly different emphasis from a slightly different angle. And so as we read the whole thing, and I really would encourage you guys to, to read the whole thing. I think it's a five or six a week series. It takes about 10 to 15, ah, maybe 15 to 20 minutes to, to read the book uh, from front to back. Um, and so I'd encourage you every week uh, for this series to look to read the book of First John in, in, in one sitting. And as you do, you get presented with this marvelous tapestry. This, this glorious picture of what the Christian life looks like and, and who Jesus is. And as we turn to today's question, how can I know that I am saved? We see the answers that First John provides this, uh, to this to be absolutely marvelous. The, the question comes from verse 13 that Marlon read for us. Chapter 5, verse 13, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The these things that gets referred to in this verse is the entire letter of 1 John. So John is saying here that his whole purpose in writing 1 John was that his readers might have confidence that they have eternal life. And so anywhere you go in the book of 1 John, you should be asking yourself the question, well, how does this give me confidence that I have eternal life? And there seem to be two elements to, to John's understanding of this, two movements in his answer to this question, uh, two ways in which he, he shows us that we can have confidence that we have eternal life. The first thing he does is he wants his readers to know that Jesus is able to save them. And, and the second thing he does is he, he wants his readers to know that they are his. And I hope you see how these two things fit together. Because you need to know that Jesus can save you. Because if he can't, you're hopeless. But it's not good enough just to know that he is enough. You have to know that you are in him to have any security and comfort from that truth. And John is intent on you knowing in the depths of your heart both of these things to be true and to be true for you. So let's have a look at those each in turn. Number one, according to 1 John, we can know that Jesus can save us. John opens his letter with these words. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, 
that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Doug, quoting C.S. Lewis, made a point in a sermon a few weeks ago where, where he said, when you take a close study of the life of Jesus, you, you're really left with three options. Either Jesus was a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he's the Lord. Because when you look at the life of Jesus, you see that everything he says and everything he does presupposes that he is the Son of God. He goes around and he lives his life as if he is the Son of God. And so it's not good enough to say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. He was a, you know, really good person, a moral man. But, but he wasn't God. If he wasn't God and he thought he was God, He was either out of his mind or he was purely evil. And so when you study the life of Jesus, you're left with those options. You're stripped of any other alternatives. And what John is doing in the the opening verses, these uh, verses, if you could put them back up on the screen, of uh, the, the, the book of 1 John, is he's saying that something very similar is true of Jesus' first followers. Like Jesus, they too were either pathological liars or or completely out of their minds or they had truly walked with and seen the risen Lord, the Son of God. You see, because what John does in these first few verses is he makes it impossible for us to say, well, well, maybe these were well-meaning people who kind of gullibly believed these stories about Jesus that had been gradually exaggerated over a long chain of transmission. And by the time it got to them, it was just accepted as truth, and so they accepted as true and and wrote about it. No, no, no. John doesn't allow us to conclude that. He said, "I I saw this with my eyes. And so if we are going to give him or any other of the disciples a smidgen of credibility as people, if we're not going to go the route where we say these are purely evil people intent on creating these fabricated lies, this, this incredible system of deception, Or these are people who are completely out of their minds, who somehow have all hallucinated the exact same thing at the same time. If those options seem absurd to us, which by the way they are, then we have to take the man on his word. We have to hold that he sincerely believed that he had been walking alongside the Son of God and he had seen him die through crucifixion, and then three days raised again. 
But this is not the primary thing that, that First John looks to point to, to give us confidence that Jesus has the power to save us. This is kind of a, a, a lightweight argument that the letter wields. The real meaty stuff comes just before the scripture that Marlon read in, in chapter 5. Let's read from chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater, because it is God's testimony that he's given us about his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. And he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. Notice verse 9. If we accept human testimony. I want to hit pause right there and just do a quick survey here. Okay, so two months ago, To the day, a horrific war broke out in Ukraine. Now, I I want everyone who believes this to be true to to raise your hand. So if you think war broke out in Ukraine, raise your hand. Okay. Now, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up if you have traveled to Ukraine in the last two months. Okay. So it seemed like everyone believed that war had broken out, but but none of you saw it for yourself. The only thing you had to go on was human testimony. And I'm not belittling that in any way. That is the rational thing to do. That we, we are supposed to accept human testimony unless there are some further grounds for disbelieving it. You can't go through life without accepting human testimony. We all do accept human testimony. But if we do that, then how much more should we be ready to accept God's testimony about himself? And you ask, well, how did God testify about his son? Verses 6 to 8 tell us, uh, let's read particularly halfway through uh, verse 7. Start of verse 7. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. The water. This speaks to Jesus' baptism, a public affair. John the Baptist was drawing crowds out to the countryside from all the cities. He was the talk of the whole nation. Everyone was intrigued by him. And at the pinnacle of his ministry, Jesus comes to him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And he baptizes Jesus in the water for everyone to see. And the heavens open and a voice comes from heaven saying, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
the water testifies to Christ. The blood testifies to Christ. Of course, this refers to the cross, an even more public event on a hill outside Jerusalem. Everyone saw it. Everyone marveled. Everyone stood aghast. And the whole creation got affected by it. The Lord worked powerfully. He blackened the sky. He tore the thick uh, curtain in the temple from top to bottom. In all this, God is testifying about his son. And then finally, the spirit. The spirit was involved both in the baptism and in the cross. In the baptism, he comes down on Jesus like a dove. And then in the cross and and Jesus' burial in the ground and his miraculous resurrection up from the grave, the Spirit's power is at work through Christ. And then on into the day of Pentecost and into the church and into every one of us and turning history upside down as the gospel has taken root in different cultures transforming it, beautifying it, and bringing much glory to God. This is how God has testified to his son. And verse 10 of chapter 5 really hammers it home. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. You see, all truth is personal. And, and, and by that, I don't mean or all truth is, is private or is subjected, subjective. All truth is imbued with God's personality. It's, it's deeply relational. And you can't truly pursue truth without pursuing a relationship with God himself. And you can't deviate from the truth without doing violence to your relationship with God himself. God is the author of all truth and he is a deeply personal God. And so we are not divided beings. We are not mind, body, and soul. What we do with our minds has implications on how we live our life, how we relate to God. In order to know rightly, we also have to feel rightly and act rightly. You can't know the truth if you are separated from God. And so John, through, through showing that he himself is a witness of the things that he talks about, and then showing that God himself 
testifies to the exact same thing. Gives us a rock solid footing for knowing that Jesus is able to save us. But as I said, that is not enough for us. It's not enough as a truth out there. And so the second thing John wants to do is he wants us to know that we are his. And this is probably the central theme of the book of John. John believes that we can know that we are safe in Jesus. Throughout the book on a number of occasions, uh, if, if you read it, you will see him say, this is how we know, dot, 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 and he'll put a colon, and then he'll put the reason. So I've got a few examples here uh, up on the screen. I've changed that kind of formula a bit just to make it a bit more readable. But, but if you look these verses up, you will see that structure in, in almost every one of them. So we know that we know him by keeping his commandments. We know we are in him by walking as he walked. We know we are born of him by doing what is right. We know we have passed from death to life by loving other people. We know we belong to the truth by loving in action and in truth. So observe that that left-hand side of the column. These are some of the things that John wants us to know. And if you know this left-hand side of the column, how can you ever doubt that you are his? If these things are true of you, well then, well then you are safe in Christ. He is your Lord and, and he is your savior. But the right-hand side of the column tells us how we can know these things. And it's, it's quite a, strange collection of reasons. It's not typically how we approach truth. It more speaks to how we live than to how we think. We know these things by by keeping his commandments, by walking as he walked, by doing what is right, loving other people, and and loving not just in in word and, and, and stuff like that, but in action and in truth. So the way to to know the left-hand side of the column is by living out the right-hand side of the column. It's through living as God created us to live that we can have confidence of our safety in Him. And so if you are up at night mulling over all these questions in your head, then go back to sleep. I'm serious. If you, if you can go back to sleep, you, you should go back to sleep. Maybe you can't go back to sleep. And then in which case, you should just try and let go of the questions. Because according to 1 John, the way to know that you are in Christ is not by a, a process of constant self-examination and self-doubting. It's not through introspection 
analyzing your own heart and your own emotions, whether you feel like you are joyful enough or trusting enough in that moment of time to be a a child of God. That's not the picture that John presents to us for us to know that we are safe in Christ. We know that we are safe in him by getting out there and living as he wants us to live, by loving people, by opening up your hearts to them, by opening up your home to them and and delighting in serving them. By walking as he walked, by spending time in prayer and in God's word, spending time alone, spending time away from the constant distractions of work and social media and TV. If you want to know that you are saved, give your whole life to service of him. And and how could you doubt? And please note that what John is saying in these verses is, is, is not some sort of salvation by works system. It's the complete opposite of that. If salvation was by works, then you would have to stay up at night wondering if you're saved because you have to work out, well, have I done enough good? Is my good going to outweigh my bad? You know, should I really up the ante so I can, you know, get enough heaven points uh, to, 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 to make it before I die? No, the only reason why we don't have to rake ourselves over the coals in the middle of the night asking us all these questions is because salvation is by grace. Jesus says in John 6 verse 37, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the only difference between people who are saved and people who are not saved? Anyone who comes to Jesus for who he really is, is is safe in him. He's not going to forsake them. He's promised to stand with them through thick and through thin. And so don't plague yourself with these questions. Live out the life that is yours. Step into the world. Don't be paralyzed by self-doubt and self-incrimination. Step out and serve him. And if you do, you will never doubt whether you are his or not. I can't imagine Mary Barnes staying up late at night raking herself over the coals, whether she's saved or not. I can't imagine Mary Beth doing that. So I didn't ask them. I hope I, hope I haven't misunderstood struggles that they are having. But, but the, the, these people live their lives constantly serving other people, loving Christ. I mean, every facet of what they do is enveloped in, in a worship of God. Well, those sorts of people don't, don't tend to have Troubles knowing whether they are saved or not. And so if you are, let go of the questions and just come to Jesus and live as he lived.
Because John wants you to know that you have eternal life. And so come to him, because you will find him faithful. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this, this wonderful passage, this wonderful book. I thank you that it wasn't your desire to send us out into the world hoping that we might receive some blessing from you, hoping that maybe one day you will look past our, our, our sin. Lord Jesus, you took on human flesh. You died for us on the cross so that we might never doubt that we are safe in your hands. And so I pray if there are any brothers and sisters out there, dear brothers and sisters who have been plagued by worry and by doubt, (coughs) that you would give their hearts peace, that they would know that they are yours and that you are faithful. We love you, Lord. We entrust ourselves to you. And we pray that you would stir up our hearts to live in obedience to you. That we would overflow with love for all those around you and see you glorified in our lives. (coughs) Amen.